A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. We're back for the Euros, baby. Upfront will be here on Football Ramble Presents three times a week throughout the tournament this July, bringing you everything you need to know about what's going to be a cracking tournament. We'll be releasing episodes while traveling up and down the country, covering various matches, as well as meeting in the studio as normal every Tuesday. Also, we're delighted to announce that all episodes recorded directly after an England game will be released on the Football Ramble feed too, so we can all celebrate together when it inevitably comes home at the end of July. It's bloody coming home, I'll tell you that for free. Our first Euros pod, it's available right fucking now. And then we'll be back in your ears on Tuesday, the 5th of July, the day before that opening game at Old Trafford. And we'll then be back the night after England's opening game in Manchester. Today's episode, well, that's your definitive guide to the Euros this summer. We'll be looking at England's chances as well as picking out some teams and players to watch from the other nations threatening to spoil England's party. Everything you need to know about this tournament is on the way. We're back. Are we? I hadn't noticed with hey, that long intro. Hey, you guys. <laughs> Some of us have had holidays. You were in Bali or whatever for about a month. Yeah, I was. Looking very tanned, very fresh Thank face, you. very healthy. And then you went to bloody Glasgow. Yeah, and ruined it all. Yeah, yeah, I literally feel like death. And yeah. all that very wholesome... I'm doing yoga in mm. Bali. I'm just looking after my body and my mind. That's was one then with myself. ruined in Glasgow where you left your soul. Yeah, basically. I just, uh, I mean, I, 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 I mean I've, I've come back half the person I was, really. <laughs> Which uh, a half? shadow of my former self. Um, <laughs> I've seen things I don't want to see. I've smelt things I don't want to smell. And was that uh, here I am now. It was mainly me. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be quite frank with you. I've lost a lot of friends along the way this month. But um yeah, it was amazing. It was it was fucking amazing. Aww. Yeah, apart from the headliners, Paul McCartney. Yeah, we, but I mean, like, I'm you're one of the few people I've heard saying, yeah, the headliners are rubbish. But I, I'm glad you can speak your truth here in this, you know, in this area we create well, in this it, safe space. It is a safe space, and I just feel like someone needs to out the fact that Paul McCartney <laughs> is no longer a headliner. 
Controversial point. Controversial Sad point. Oh my God, we are going to go viral for all the wrong wow. reasons. No, um, well, if Flo can swear in the opening <laughs> section of the show, I feel like, you know, some truths really need to be laid down and that's mine. Yeah, that is a cold, hard truth right there, wow. man. Sorry about that. Speak ill of a beetle, nothing, that's crazy. I have nothing exciting to add after that. You had, a, you had a nice holiday in Portugal. I did. I've nothing like damning to say though to kind of really make this go extra viral. <laughs> no hot take. You need to say <laughs> something really controversial on the Portuguese. Now about the Euros. <laughs> Ooh, let's not. Okay, mm. we'll keep it clean. Um, very exciting, very exciting few days ahead because we are just over a week away from the tournament starting. Recording this on Tuesday, the twenty eighth of June. Obviously, the tournament kicks off on the sixth. England versus Austria at Old Trafford. It's sold out. There are a few tickets still available, people sort of like reselling. It's a very easy process. You know I love a bit of admin chat, but if you are looking for tickets, it's really easy because you download the UEFA mobile ticket app and it does mean that if you're buying tickets off someone, they just need your email address and then it goes straight into your app. Are you on commission? No, because so many people have... I've sort of seen people who are like... Yeah, I really want to go to Old Trafford, but it's sold out. I'm like, no, there's so many people. When I put a tweet out saying anyone got tickets to Old Trafford that they're not using, I got so many messages. So if you want tickets, do not fear. There are still still, still some available. Put it out on Twitter and I'm sure people will be able to see your message because we need everyone that got a ticket or we need it full. I don't want to see empty seats. I was going to say some helpful advice from Aunt Flo and realise that probably shouldn't say that. So um, <laughs> helpful advice nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> but come on, you're with me, right? You don't want people who are like, oh, I had four tickets, but I couldn't find out how to find someone to buy them. So there's just... Well, there's that, but like, why the hell are you not coming? Yeah. What's wrong with you? So I've had loads of people Clear be like, diary, oh, I've got a there. wedding. I'm in Australia. <laughs> I'm not, doing this, not excuse. this, this. Fly this, back. Fred, send off the wedding. So you yeah. know what it's like. You People bought these like a fail like a year ago or so, end of the the men's Euros, a lot of those tickets went on pre-sale. So I can understand why, you know, plans change. I, I can understand. Your plans should not change. I mean, change you her. lost a member of your party from Glasgow because she had a bloody baby. God, you made it sound like she died yeah, then. Jesus, <laughs> I was like, you can't, did you drive over her in the van? <laughs> Joe's still alive. Um, yeah, she just had a baby. Yeah. Congratulations, Joe, on the birth of your lovely child. But I will say Ronnie. that's also Ronnie, not, also not an excuse to miss the opening game at Old Trafford. We don't bring, care. Bring it with you. Yeah, Joe, absolutely. we don't care if you had a bloody baby. Turn up and bring Manchester it to Old Trafford. Trafford. Well, Joe doesn't have a ticket for, oh, for your Trafford. Well, they get are one. Okay, <laughs> I try. Not left, though. We've just established that. <laughs> get the app. It's great. Anyway, um, the Euros are back. We're back. Euros back in England. First time since two thousand and five. Didn't seem that that was that long ago, and it says here seventeen bloody years. So. No, no, great. And also that Euros, England really shit the bed. <laughs> it wasn't a good home Euros for them. No. Uh, they didn't even get out of the group. I don't think. Let's move on swiftly. Farrah yeah. Williams was involved in that team. Um, Jill Scott wasn't, but I it wasn't so, long no. before she did get involved. And this is going to be her tenth major tournament for England. She said that, that, that was. I think that was one of her first footballing memories. Was that when she said she went to that? So like a fresh-faced Karen Carney. I think she was 17 then, coming on for England. So nice memory, but let's not yeah. think about how England did. Not well. And that tournament was one of Germany's eight European titles. What I would give to have eight European Just titles. Just the eight. Eight, eh? mm. But I actually think it's better and more fun to be an England fan because they never win anything. I kind of think it adds to like the, the lol mentality and the kind of like comedy we're good, but we're actually quite bad at the same time. It does, but I think you do take it quite seriously for a country that hasn't really won it. Like, I, from as you know, I'm from Ireland. 
we have the lol mentality because we don't blame bloody anything. So when we just even get into a tournament, it's like the best time ever, which is why True. the fans are You're so You're just good. there for a good time. Yeah. Not a long time. Exactly. Um, whereas you do have, have the fun in England, but you are also got quite a lot of pressure. Yeah. So see you in Ireland. Pressure makes diamonds, honey. No, man, we don't need pressure. We have a great crack. We don't need just that. Just for a laugh. Um, big tournament, though. 16 teams. 10 venues. Venues a little bit of a controversial subject at the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel and I were at the Lionesses Media Day at St. George's Park last week. We sat down with Baroness Sue Campbell from the FA and Chris Bryant, who is part of the organising committee. I think his official title is Tournament Director. I may have just made that up, but he's, he's part of the organising committee. Official. Lots of questions about venues, about the fact that at the CFA and at Lee Sports Village, behind both goals will not be being used because it's standing and UEFA regulations says you can't have standing. Lots of conversations about whether those venues are big enough. Lots of conversations about why there aren't any venues in the Northeast, in the Midlands, etc. We're not going to drone on about this, but it's something that's been talked about a lot. It's been talked about pretty much ever since the cities and the stadiums were released. I remember seeing that conversation on Twitter. Um, And obviously from the very start, the FA has said, this is what we had to work with it was it was more a case of us seeing who came forward and picking from quite a small pool of options rather than having loads of of choices and specifically not choosing certain stadiums and i think it 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 made the situa- situation easier when they clarified that but it's still disappointing and we're yet to sort of find out exactly why i think there are a few things at play with some other major events happening in this country commonwealth games later this summer uh, Rugby League World Cup, a few other things, and EFL clubs wanted to conserve their pitches or m- long-term maintenance work, etc., happening at certain grounds. But it doesn't, it doesn't remove the fact that it is still a little bit disappointing that over the last couple of weeks, more and more has come out about just how difficult it was persuading some clubs and stadiums to come forward. Yeah, I think we try and lay a lot at the FA's door, but for me, this is something that UEFA should be looking at, and they should actually, in my opinion, limit how few seats can be in a stadium if you're applying. I think it should be a 10K minimum at a stadium. I think we should be ambitious. We should be pushing forward. It grows every year. It's not getting smaller. Um, So I think that should be reflected in people's bids. I think you also need to consider that this did kind of go in around 2017, 2018. Women's football was in a very different place back then. Um, and it's in a very different place now. You're having record crowds around the, the world. Um, you're seeing an awful lot more clubs wanting to invest in their women's team. I think if we were bidding for a tournament now, we would have totally different stadiums. So you're kind of looking at a bid from four or five years ago through the lens of 2022, which has been the biggest year for women's football. So you kind of need that little bit of context. I think if we'd seen really small grounds across the whole tournament, that'd be one thing. It is only two. I'm disappointed. I don't think they're big enough, but I don't think it's a a massive glaring issue. And also we should say that this tournament is already outsold 2017 in Holland obviously Holland won that tournament so I think that's a positive factor as, as well that even with some of those smaller ground I think CFA is going to have what 4,000 in it yeah. um, and is Lee like seven, seven and a bit yeah, yeah seven or so uh, they still have outsold Holland uh, based on, on the ticket sales already and still could more still more could be sold I think it's like we're at like 450,000 or yeah. something and it could go up to like 700,000 or 750,000 tickets yeah. available so, and also, I personally, I don't know about you, Chloe, as a player, I personally 
would rather see full, loud, atmospheric stadiums than empty, quiet stadiums. And I'm hoping with the games at Lee and CFA, although I'm very disappointed there's going to be nothing behind the goals because I think that's kind of dead and boring and not great for, for the atmosphere, I do think it'll be better that they're full. And all of Iceland's group games at the CFA have sold out, haven't they? And obviously, you know, some of their players were critical about having their games there uh, and a lack of ambition. But I do think it's good to have full stadiums. I think that's what you want. You want the atmosphere. You want the buzz around the crowd. And what you don't want to see, especially on TV, is... You know, large sections of the stands not being taken up. I mean, we saw some of that, I suppose, at the Arnold Clark Cup, and you know, yeah, it was disappointing. What was it? Two fifty on one of those games? Two hundred fifty people? Yeah, it's that. But I do have to agree that I think UEFA should have done more. But I do also agree with the fact that you know that position was being considered, you know, four or five years before. And I was, you know, weirdly, I was actually part of the UEFA think tank uh, back in two thousand seventeen or eighteen. Um, and there was a like visa there and a couple of other sort of big sponsors. And we were sort of talking about where they should be hosted. And a lot of that was sort of coming down to, OK, well, what can the host cities provide in terms mm. of, you know, activation and, um, you know, the, the transport system and things like that. So, you know, it it was disappointing to hear about and, and a lot of people, a lot of the sponsors were even saying, OK, well, do we think that this is ambitious enough by hosting in these areas? And and that was the sort of general view that actually that that would be, you know, a good capacity. But yeah, things have changed. Things have changed massively, um, and now it doesn't look so doesn't look so good at some of these stadiums. But I agree, as a, from a player perspective, I you know I'd, I'd much rather see a, a full you know jam packed ground with a lot of atmosphere than the walk out onto a pitch. You know, especially for like one of the biggest tournaments that we've had in a while for um, you know and see two people. Yeah, you- and I think I mean <clears throat> Rachel, right? There's always an excuse to um, you know hit the FA over the head with something. I think for me part of it is actually more cities than stadiums. I think what the World Cup, and obviously World Cup and Euros are very different things, um, but I think what, what France did so well with the World Cup is like pretty much most of the the games were in really interesting, exciting tourist destinations that you would visit regardless maybe of, of the football match. That wouldn't be just be the focal Valenciennes, point. Valenciennes, Le Havre? I said most of okay. them. I think some of them and like weren't as sexy, okay. but I think when you like for like, there were more sexy cities. You want sexy cities in France okay. than we've got in this. What's a and sexy like, city? In I the know, UK? like as English people, we're not going to be that. You know, some we're very self-deprecating as a culture and a, and, a, and, a, and and our personalities are like that. So we're never going to like talk that highly of our city. We'll never be a ten. We'll always be a six or seven. And I'm also a very arrogant southerner. So I like people are probably going to say to me like you don't know what we're talking about. You've never been to Rotherham, and I've never been to Rotherham. But like Rotherham, Leon, like we're talking very different kettle of fish. Nice, Wigan, very different kettle of fish. And I think for me. That's where I'm a little bit disappointed. It's like Milton Keynes is somewhere famous for its roundabouts and we're taking one of the biggest competitions in women's football that to true? that. Yeah. yeah. It's famous as a town that was built uh, based on like the uh, uh, like a US sort of like, like a model village almost. It was built in like, I think like the 70s or something and it's got loads of roundabouts and like it's that's kind of what it's famous for. Did and I know that? I, I don't know. For me, it would have been great, I think, to have more historic football destinations like your Newcastles in Sunderland that have a lot of rich football history, but also like your Newcastle, like your Liverpools, places that as a tourist, you'd be really excited to go. Um, I think Brighton fulfills that. I think Sheffield fulfills that. London 
like obviously, but I don't know. I'm just a little bit disappointed about the cities, and I'm, that's why I'm really intrigued to see. Right, if you are going there, what's the fan? They're not calling it a fan zone; they're calling it like a fan party. What that's looking like, what the dressings like in town, because that's going to make it. That is going to be the difference. But I also think, I mean, you can look at it from a different angle, though. The, these kind of cities don't really get a lot of attention. So actually, by placing the tournament in some of these cities, especially for some of the girls, you know, who live there, the impact that that could have, and actually having a game on their doorstep, and all the buzz and atmosphere and excitement that gets around that. So you know, I do think you know a lot of the time, I 100% agree. I think it would have been more exciting to have a Liverpool game. But at the same time, you know, what would that do for the smaller communities of, of girls football and women's football in and around those areas? Mabes. You're Just right. Just throwing out there. Just You're bloody right. Silver lining. And also the where it happens is completely dictated by what grounds are available and what yeah, councils and what want ca- to get involved. And also what came forward, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. all well and me going, like me, all well and good me saying, oh, I don't want to go to Rotherham. But Rotherham came forward and said, we want to host. So that stadium's quite nice. So and and also you've never been to Rotherham. So lay low on Rotherham, yeah? I have. What, um, and? It's fine. It's a nice stadium. <laughs> it's lovely. Fine. The stadium is nice. And I'm sure it's like a walk from the town as well, as far as I remember. So it means that kind of thing is quite good for wherever your fan okay, party is, is that it's not miles away, Lee. Um, so that should be interesting. Uh, I've got two games at Lee. Uh, anyway, um, that's enough planning chat because I could do a whole bloody po- podcast on the planning chat because I love a bit of planning chat. Move on. Uh, if you want more questions about the app, just DM me. I Stop. Get on that roundabout um, and take the edge quickly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about England. Come on, we've got to talk about England. Rachel and I were at Ellen Road last Friday. What a night. That was what fun. What a night. <laughs> so jealous. Uh, um, it was really fun. I just get really overexcited when England play Your really little well. face. Like when we won the Arnold Clark Cup and Millie Bright shared the golden <laughs> ball with Alexa Pateas, which is photograph. women's football heritage. <laughs> um, I got so overexcited at Molyneux. Like I couldn't sleep till... It took me a long time to drive home, but when I got, I got home about 1.30am and I was just awake like, Oh my God, England are win the Euros. This is so great. And I felt like that again at Ellen Road on Friday. I think it didn't get sleep to about one-ish. And I was just so pumped because it was just such a good night to come back from a goal down. First time England have gone behind since Serena Beeman came in, in, into the job. And then to absolutely smash to bits the team that won the tournament a few years ago that were by far the toughest bit of opposition that England faced in this period of warm-up games and one of the toughest toughest they've faced since Wiegman came in. Yes, the Netherlands have quite a few issues at the moment, especially in defence. But 5-1 is a mega scoreline. That last 30 minutes was some unbelievable football. Like, the passing was so quick. That, um, that goal that Beth Mead scored, that second so nice. um, goal... That passage of play was just unbelievable. It was such quick passing play, one-touch football. And even in the first half, when England were kind of shitting the bed in defence a little bit, I didn't have the same panicky feeling that I used to have when they were playing poorly around the back where I was, you know, just shouting, oh my God, pass the ball. Um, They seemed to still manage to keep the ball out and I just felt more assured even when they looked not at all assured. Um, But yeah, I think the main thing for me, I kind of wanted them to go behind. I wanted to see how they would they would play when they went behind. Um, and, you know, to see them not have a good first half and go behind and still come back and win as emphatically is, is a good sign. And I want to make the point as well is that the same challenge was asked of Gareth Southgate's England in the Euros last summer when they had yet to go behind and they had to do it and they came through and here we fucking are all over again. Summer, it's happening. 
You're right, Flo. She's Very happening. Very excited, isn't she? Gosh. There's someone in the water. Oh, gosh. Are you drunk? No. I'm right. just high on life, my friend. Gosh, I'm just wow. high on Arnold Clark Cup and just everything. Like, Shall I'm we just... talk about the team? Yeah, let's talk about the team. Oh, um, nice, 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 nice. Because Bring it back on track. I do think what Friday showed is the depth. And oh we know, we the, know depth. the depth is a sensational. Um, and there's a lot of that starting lineup, which probably kind of set in stone, really, ahead of the Austria game. Erps, uh, you know, keeps her place in goal. Yep, absolutely. Big Erps fan over here Hang to on. my right. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. Who did you say was going to be number one? You go back through those recordings, my yeah. friend, and you will find some very interesting narratives. I'm going to ask we need Finn the and Charlie yeah. to just drop that in for me. We need the minutes on that one. Yeah, I can't conclusively say what was said previously, but my new stance or <laughs> <laughs> is that I think that's a fantastic choice. I think her experience, the season that she's had with Man United, I think her presence... Um, I think has been absolutely bold. And the last two games that she's played, I think she's been outstanding. I think, yes, not, you know, fail safe, not a complete, you know, perfect performance. But I think, I, I just think that she's, um, she's exciting, I think, as a keeper to watch. And I think she has all the sort of stable things that you want to get you through a quite, what's going to be quite a nervy tournament. So for me, I think she's, I think she's a great choice. And I think, you know, especially with Roebuck, you know, seemingly being the favourite for, you know, a, a long period of time. I think now it gives her a bit of a run for for her money. And, you know, I, I think that's a good good little shake-up. And if you're a goalkeeper you and you're a defender, you want someone with Mary Earps' confidence standing behind you. And she proved that on Friday night. She intimidated Shurida Spitzel on a 200th cap, you know, it... it influenced her missing and then England go up the other pit, other end of the pitch and score it was fan bloody tastic some really good substitutions as well made by Serena Vigman there are just so many options yeah I'd, I'd like to go in depth about the depth a little bit more um, I actually asked Lucy Bronze about this after the Belgium game and she said that after the game some of the Belgian players are actually saying to her you know you guys have your Lauren Hemps on the pitch your Alan Whites and then you off the bench comes Chloe Kelly and mm. Fran Kirby and Beth Mead and Ella Toon is still on the bench. Like the the Belgian players are actually saying your depth is is ridiculous. Scary. And, and Mark Parsons, the Dutch manager, afterwards said England's freshness was what really did them in because in the second half, the Dutch looked tired and he he kind of blamed himself for his substitutions. Whereas in England, on the, on the England side, they make substitutions. There's no dip in form. They seem to kind of come in, know exactly what their job is and their connections are really, really good. It's something Serena Wiegmann has talked about a lot is the connections between the players. So it is, the, the depth I think is one of England's biggest strengths going into this tournament. Although Serena would not agree with me and told me that all of her team are really good and that's their strength. So. No, but I think it's, a, 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 what, what, what she's diplomatic. actually got now is a squad that is finely balanced in terms of youth and experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, with some of the younger players now coming in and starting to make their mark, you know, Toon has been absolutely phenomenal this season, come in and scored a goal already. You've got Chloe Kelly, you know, fresh out of injury. What she, uh, she's come from an ACL, like mm-hmm. was it was a year ago yesterday or whatever it <laughs> yeah. was. Um, you know, and coming in and scoring one of her first goals. for and I, and I just think, you know, that's incredible. And then it's supported by, you know, the likes of all the big names, the experience, the, the girls that have done, the women that have done the big tournaments before will have that kind of, um, you know, arm around the younger players. So, you know, let's go and do this. So I think the balance is, is beautiful. Mm. I, I, you know, this is it. Come on. <laughs> It's happening. It's, it's similar you know balance vibes to you in Bali, just like at one with yourself. That's mm. England right now. It's just like mm. yeah, I, I'm drinking what she's drinking. So long so. as they don't um, have a glass dough at the tournament, <laughs> we should know. Never again. Um, Frank Kirby as well. Three months ago, 
she was out indefinitely with fatigue issues and she is almost back like she never left. She played really well on Friday night uh, and she looks like she could play a really key part in England's tournament and that's what everyone wanted to see. It's what we all hoped might happen because she was included in the squad having not played since February and no one was quite sure where she was at physically but she's talked a lot recently about her recovery about things she did about kind of just being kind to herself and being patient and keeping that communication open with Serena Bigman and it is just paid dividends because she just looks so confident she looks so fresh and and revived and rested which I think is really important because I think that'll be crucial to England when we get into making assumptions here but if they get to the latter stages of the competition, they're going to need all those players. Yeah, and I think she may not start every game, but she is the kind of player that can come on and change it for 20 minutes. Um, and I think you need players like that in a tournament who can come on and... and This is the thing about the subs, though, is that I feel like it's... it's what was the... Um, the finishers, that's what they used to be called, I think. Mm. they. And I think Fran Kirby can change a game even if she's not played since February. Mm. So I think, yeah, we could see some special performances from her. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, I think maybe giving a bit of credit to Emma Hayes, actually, I feel like she's really like stuck an arm around Kirby for the past few months. And um, obviously Emma Hayes has massive experience in, well, just everything. I just I just <laughs> love her so much. Um, but I think like she's been a massive journey also, not just in sort of the physical recovery, but also the mental recovery that I think that, um, that, that Fran's gone through as well. Um, and I know she was talking about some of these quite alternative therapies that she's used in these oxygen tents and things. Um, did I see? Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to her being sort of one to watch as, as being that, that big impact player for us. Uh, a few other squad bits, because obviously it's been a fairly long time since we recorded a pod, not since the Women's FA Cup final. So obviously I'm sure lots of people may have seen the news, which was the kind of big news, but not necessarily that surprising when it comes down to it. But Steph Horton not being included, Katie Zellum not being included. I think she was really disappointed in that because she definitely implied that she felt like she was very close to making the squad. Lucy Staniforth dropping out, that was very much expected. Uh, Neve Charles, I think that was a surprising mm. omission because she is such a versatile option. Uh, and then Sandy McIver, who was kind of always expected to go. So those are the players that didn't make the final squad. Um, but a few who are finally getting there after missing out quite a few times, Beth England who I think has a bit of a sort of always the bridesmaid, never the bride vibe about her. She finally makes the squad for a major tournament. Uh, I think she'd probably be a little bit frustrated about her performance against England, uh, sorry, for her performance against uh, the Netherlands, stepping up in place of Ellen White, who had COVID. But she still could play an important role this summer, probably more as a backup to White. Uh, but it's great to see her kind of finally get that opportunity. Yeah, and when she does come on, she brings so much energy on the pitch, mm. and she's a very, very direct forward as well. Um, and she can change if England are struggling a little bit to get goals. Bringing her on kind of changes what they offer up front, um, and you're always pretty confident that she's going to get one. So again, a, definitely a player you need to bring um, in a tournament like this. I think Serena's shown that they're not necessarily looking to rely solely on White. The fact that I, I thought they'd bring an extra defender, your Neve Charles, rather than an extra striker, for example. So I think that says a lot that she's she's planning to to rotate her front three. Absolutely. And I think that I think it's exactly that though. I think 
she's not relying just on a few kind of key players here. I mean, when you look at the goals that have been scored so far against, um, you know, teams in the friendlies, I mean, we're looking at six different goal scorers. And I think that's incredible for us because I, I do feel like previously, in previous years, we have relied on, you know, the, the star players essentially. But but now we just, um, you don't know who's going to score and it could be any one of them. The fact front. we can beat the Netherlands 5-1 without Ellen White. That's a joke. Um, we're going to talk about our overall sort of ones to watch in the tournament, but can you guys pick one... England one to watch. It might be a crossover. Mine is certainly a crossover. But who would be your like player you're most looking forward to watching this summer for England? Lauren Hemp. Ditto. Oops. 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 Goalkeepers My, Union, baby. It back My now, new like, fave. Yeah, number one, the number one fan. We're bezers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Let's take a look at some of the other contenders for the European title because I'm putting England up there. there I are, think there are no other contenders. <laughs> just England. <laughs> it's the end of the podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. It. See you later. Um, because they are one of the favourites. They're always going to be favoured because they're at home. They're always going to be favoured because there's always pressure on England because there's always so much expectation. But at the same time, a lot of that is warranted because of what Serena Bigman has done and because of the talent and ability of the squad, which I think has always been there. It's just kind of awaking it and having the right coach to awaken it. Yeah, and they've played three top 10 teams this year and beaten all of them. So they're they're backing it up. Granted, it hasn't been in high-pressure games and that's where it matters. But that's why you pick favourites for things. That's why people become favourites is is what they're doing on the pitch and, and England are doing it at the moment. But let's have a look at some of the other contenders. Sweden... I think they are one of, or if not the bookies' favourite. Um, I think they were like seven to one at one point, and I think then they were four to one at one point. I don't know what their odds are right now, uh, but they are certainly up there and warranted as well because they narrowly lost out on a gold of the mm. Olympic Games, losing on a penalty shootout to Canada. Absolutely gutting. They won silver at the 2016 Olympic Games as well. 
And they won a bronze at the 2019 World Cup when they absolutely smashed England. It was pretty embarrassing for England, but a very impressive display from them. They've just grown from strength to strength over the last couple of years. They have a very good squad, a very good forward line, very solid defence as well, and a very good midfield. So they are kind of the total package, and their recent success at major tournaments is something that may give them that edge over England. Yeah, they need to start scoring more goals. Um, But I think that's probably, you know, I wouldn't even call it a weak area, but the area maybe that they've struggled a little bit on in that when they have won games, they haven't won by a lot. So I think if they start banging in the goals, they're going to be absolutely lethal. Um, You know, you've got your likes of like Friedelina Rolfo, who had a great season at at Barcelona, although I think she's playing deeper at Barcelona. You've got Stina Blackstenius, You've got Sofia Jakobsen. Lena Hurtig has had a good season at, at um, Juventus as and well. And I think we saw that at the Olympic Games. We saw a lot more creativity and an attacking flow from them than we'd seen in the past. Yeah, and you've even got players like Magda Eriksson who pops up and scores a goal for Sweden. I think she does that more often than she does it for Chelsea. So, you know, they are, as you say, a very, throughout the squad, a very, very good team um, and really good depth as well and, and consistency. One of the really interesting things, though, is that obviously England have absolutely packed their schedule with friendlies. They had a game against Belgium, they had the game against Holland, and then they've got one finally on Thursday night, 30th of June, against Switzerland in Zurich. Sweden have only had got one friendly, sold-out friendly against Brazil, and they're currently losing, at the time of recording, 1-0, and there's half an hour to go. That's interesting, because Denmark beat Brazil the other day, 2-1, um, and I would have expected... Sweden to to beat Brazil. So that's, it's interesting. Hello, it's Future Flow here. Um, So uh, after we finished recording, uh, Sweden pulled off an unbelievable comeback and actually won that game 3-1. Johanna Kanarid, Lena Hurtig and Stina Blaxenius ended up pulling off a tremendous comeback. And so, yeah, what do we know? Who needs more than one friendly when you're absolutely smashing it like that? Um, And you can't always read too much in those friendlies, but I've been surprised at how some of the bigger nations, Germany included, we're going to get on some in a minute, haven't organised a whole ton of friendlies. Um, And I think that is, you know, could be something that really becomes an advantage for England, having um, organised top friendlies as well against against the Netherlands and, and having played those Arnold Club Cup games, it's going to give them a bit of an advantage. And we saw after that uh, that game at Ellen Road that uh, Mark Parsons was referring to England as one of the favourites. And I think we'll was. see other managers do that to pile a little bit of pressure on. Um, but yeah, certainly I think Sweden are, are very, very warranted for their favourites label. Rachel, another one of the the teams that have definitely been catching people's eye, and I know um, we've both kind of labelled them as like sort of dark horses, but they're not dark horses because it's not like they're they're, they're just coming horses. out of nowhere, but they're just horses, <laughs> grey horses, um, horses that people maybe aren't paying as much attention <laughs> yeah. to, whatever that might be. But Norway, uh, in England's group, things were looking okay for them, but in the last two months, that changed dramatically when Adaka Hegerberg announced her return to the international team. Yeah, it's huge for them. I think I think as well, with the history they've had with England, it's going to spur them on even more in the group because England have knocked them out of the previous two World Cups at quarterfinal stage, I believe. 
Um, so they will want to get their revenge first of all which you know is never a good thing coming up against mm. a team that wants revenge a team that has Ada Hegeberg back in it who's already back scoring goals she's top scorer in the Champions League and she's, she was already back scoring goals in the Champions League after a, a long time off with injury they're stacked with talent particularly in the midfield and up front you've got Caroline Graham Hansen who was who had a great season for Barcelona you've got Guro Wrighton who was one of Chelsea's top players um, so I'm really excited from that front I think maybe she, she had such a good season she was right? Unreal. as well yeah. so many players coming into this tournament in really good form yeah you've got um, Blackstad you've got uh, Frida Manum you know there's a lot of good players there I'm a little maybe concerned about their defence I think their goalkeeper is injured if I'm right in thinking that so I think they've got quite a young goalkeeper set up um, but with the firepower they have I think they can pose some real problems and there could be a lot of pressure on England because if they don't beat Austria in that opening game which they will, but we saw them struggle in that game at, at, at the Stadium of Light against Austria. In the worst storm ever. Yeah, the, I mean, the weather conditions weren't great. But they were bad for both. Of them, yeah, so. but if, if England fail to win that game, that second group game against Norway could be very tense. And Group B is the group of death. And if England don't win their group, I mean, to be honest, if England win the group or England come second in that group, whoever they're playing at a Group B it's hard. is really hard. Um, and I mean, I expect Norway to be the second team that gets out of England's group. But for both England and Norway, that is a tough quarterfinal. If they both get through, they're going to be facing some really, really tough teams. I mean, let's dive into Group B a little bit as well, because um, it is the quote unquote group of death. And you've got Germany, Denmark, Spain and Finland in it. Really, really tough for all of those teams. And... Germany were not a team that I was paying too much attention to because we obviously saw them at the Arnold Clark Cup, but they bought, they lost a lot of their players because of a COVID outbreak and, and injury as well. They're still missing some of those big players. Jennifer Marajan, mainly Lou Poltz is obviously out um, expecting a baby. Um, but there are some big players there and I am starting to get a little bit nervous about Germany. They did even cause England some problems in that Arnold Clark Cup game. England eventually won 3-1, but there were some uh, some nervy moments. They absolutely smashed Switzerland to bits in a warm-up game, beating them 7-0. I think that's their only warm-up game that they've played. Um, Lena McGull, who scored against England in that Arnold Clark Cup game, a brilliant free kick. She is in sensational form for Germany right now. I think she's going to have a mega Euros. And having kind of been focused on Spain and everyone talking about Spain and bigging them up as one of the favourites, I feel like people have forgotten about Germany and now a bit like, God, if England win their group and or come second in the group and end up draw, drawing Germany in that quarterfinal, I'm pretty scared about that. Yeah, I think the fact that they had, uh, how they, they played at the Arnold Clark Cup, you know, we knew covering it that they'd had this big outbreak mm. and that's probably why they, they performed the way they did. You don't necessarily get that context when you're kind of just scanning through results mm. and maybe that's why they've slipped under the radar a little bit. Um, but they've got some real talent. I know you mentioned Lena McGull. Some of their key players are, are still there. Um, Sarah De Britz, Alexander Pop. Um, but then you've got some really good youngsters. Tabe of Asmuth coming up. Um, you've got some, you know, Julia Gwynn, um, Jewel Brand like there's some young players that can can really cause problems as well Lena Oberdorf yeah oh god um, how did I forget her they, they've all had good seasons as well um, and they'll be coming in I think they quite like the fact that people have probably under mm. underestimated them and I think they're going to sh- prove us wrong 
Yeah, I've not really heard much coverage about Germany. They, I feel that they have really slipped under the radar and I've not really um, considered them too much of a threat, really, until you've literally just mentioned it. Um, but to be honest, I mean, it's going to be an interesting game. I think that, you know, the Spain v Germany game on the 12th of July, um, I think it's going to be a sort of real, um, you know, throw up what's going to happen. You've got two massive titans battling against each other. And I think that's going to be the first time that we really see, OK, what are they both bringing to the tournament and what kind of threat do they really pose for, for England when we, not if, when we get out of that group. And I think, is there was there a plan for us all to go? I mean, I'm working that game, but I think we were going to do potentially a team outing there we as well. Because it's, it's one at Brentford, a very nice stadium. Um, I think it's close to being sold out. I know lots of people that are going and it's quite a small-ish venue compared to some of the other Premier League grounds in the tournament. So I think it's going to be a really good atmosphere. I think it's like the neutral's choice for games in this tournament. Um, I think the game and in the Arnold Clark Cup that these two played was a little bit disappointing, but it's going to be very different because different teams since then, obviously those absences from Germany, Spain have had a, a few changes as well. So that is going to be, like you say, Chloe, such an exciting one. And Denmark. And Denmark, we can exactly. ride off Denmark. I mean, they were in the final of the Euros in 2017. I feel for them ending up in the group of death. I think whoever gets out of the group of death is going to do them a world of good in terms of confidence. Um, and I don't want to say we might see whoever wins the group of death in the final because I'm trying to work out now, will England face them? But basically, I think whoever wins the group of death could go a long way in the tournament because not only have they beaten some very good teams, but they'll have some huge confidence as well going forward. We have to talk about Spain. Um, I feel like the hype around them reached like peak maybe just before the Arnold Clark Cup was about to kick off in in February March and then with how they played there and Barcelona losing in the Champions League final people have kind of toned down some of the hype a little bit it was also just when uh Alexis Pateas won the Ballon d'Or just when Barcelona absolutely smashed Arsenal to bits so I feel like peak Spain hysteria was kind of reaching its climax um they obviously are a very good team, but I think what we've seen from them in a sort of like typical Spain fashion is uh, a frustrating lack of goals. Uh, you know, plenty of possession, very solid, very organised, but struggle to break through and put away chances and even sometimes create actual shots on goal. They did just smash Australia, though. Yeah, but Australia are in a weird kind of medium. They're playing a lot of kids at the moment. They've got a few players out with injury, a few players who are still on holiday. It's kind of... But for me, for the goal scorers, the important thing for them is scoring goals. The confidence, So yeah. that's a big thing for them going into the tournament. I think against two organised teams like Germany and Denmark, I think that's going to be... And Finland. Hard. Finland are yeah. solid defensive. Like, they'll be hard to break down. So, you know, you're right. It, it, it could be... It's one of those, like, yeah, you got influenced by the hype around Barcelona, but then... You got to look at Spain's history in in major tournaments. You know that's got to come into it. They've I don't think they've ever gotten out of the group stages. If I'm right in thinking that, so I think they will. It's really hard to call. The fact that they've now gone into this into Group B um, makes it really difficult to call. I mean, what a shock! Imagine if Spain didn't get out of the group. What no, is that it? would be great. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, I mean, give me your guys' predictions for how. Spain are going to do it the Euros. I mean, really, we should do it for all the teams. But because there's been so much hype around them, I let's just focus on Group B, I guess, actually. Who do you think is going to get out of that group? Let's include Finland, because they could be a massive surprise package. Let's say who's going to get out of that group of death out of Germany, Spain, Denmark, Finland, top two in that group. 
You're asking us to put our flagpole in the put sand. Put your flagpole in the sand, line. baby. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, Spain, Germany. My head says Germany, Spain. My heart says Germany, Denmark. Ooh. I'm going to go Germany, Denmark for a laugh. I'm going to troll. I'm going to troll. Some uh, really detailed insight there from presenter Flo. <laughs> Eeny, meeny, miny, Denmark. Flo. <laughs> um, I just had a little quick Google as well. They, I couldn't quite remember, but they did get to the semifinals one time. Um, oh my God, I They got corrected. to the quarterfinals in 2013 Apologies. and 2017. But um, the last time I got to semifinals was in 1997. So recently they haven't gone beyond the quarterfinals right, in okay. many major tournaments. Um, but the hype is so big and so real. Um, that will be interesting what happens. They still do have, you're right, like they do have goals in that team, but at the end of the day, they aren't Barcelona. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're obviously missing Jenny Hermoso, who uh, is missing the tournament because of injury, and there's been some fairly controversial selection decisions by Jorge Vilder as well, and a little bit of criticism around his mm, tactics, a yeah. little bit of confusion from the fans. I tell you so, what, having three years since a tournament, a major tournament, really does make a difference. Because, you know, looking at Spain 2019 to now, it's very different. Looking at any team from 2019 mm-hmm. to now is very different. So it just makes it even harder to call. And, and the game has grown once again exponentially in those three years. So it's a it makes for a very exciting Euros. A team as well that we can't forget. And I, the last couple of weeks, people have been talking them up big time. And they've had some good results recently. Um, they were very close to beating the USA in the 2019 World Cup on home soil. So we can't ignore them. It's France. Um, they're just too too chaotic for me. Karine Diacra, um, it seems like a interesting person, shall we say. Um, she's fallen out with some of the biggest players. Eugenie Le Sommer, not there. Amadie Henri, who had a fantastic Champions League final, not there. Um, it's hard to see past that and see a way that they can kind of come together as a group um, and win the competition. Um, so even though I think they, they've got so much attacking talent, I think they look quite light in midfield and I can't see past that. But we can't write them off. I think um, I think it's difficult for players when you've sort of come through the back of controversy and when there's things going on behind the scenes and, you know, going into these massive tournaments, what you really want to see is solidarity and everyone getting behind each other, which I think, you know, the England squad have done an absolutely fantastic job of. Everyone seems to be really hyping up everyone else. And, you know, I do I do worry. I think, you know, they're they're in a difficult group. They've not had the best run of form. And I, and I do think that actually this might not be their sort of stellar tournament that, Previously, I think you would have been thinking they're, you know, pretty strong contenders. But this year, I don't think there's been much hype around them. It's really hard to call because they do have such talent in the squad. Um, but, you know, some of their results, I mean, they beat Slovenia in April 1-0. You know, there's been results like that which would make They had you... that big win over Holland, but who doesn't fucking beat Holland, am I right? No, but in that, in that, I think it was called like the France Cup, which was what they were doing when we were doing the Arnold Clark Cup. Yeah, I think... For me, the biggest thing, as you've touched on for France, is how their heads will be on the pitch um, because they've got some quality in there, uh, but they've got a lot of youth in there as well. And I think leaving out key players like Amandine Henry and Eugène Lesmer, you take away a lot of that experience and a lot of that major tournament experience. Um, so, yeah, it'll be I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they get on with that. And the vibe that I get is that everyone is scared of Karine Diacra. 
And I feel like being scared of your head coach is not a good vibe. It's not conducive to success if you kind of have a culture of fear. And that is the interpretation I get and what it seems, you know, from the outside looking in. And I'm really intrigued to see how they got on, how they get on, because I feel like in that environment, a tiny bit of pressure. Chloe, you can maybe, talk, I don't know if you've had this in your, in your career, but I feel like in those environments, a little bit of pressure can cause quite a few problems. And they talked about, I mean, I think it was Armand Henry talked about after the World Cup, how like they, they spent most tournament crying because it was such a stressful, awful environment. Massively. I think, um, you know, when you see some of the, the teams that are doing really well in these big competitions is because there's a good atmosphere and there's a good energy. And like I said, sort of everyone's ha- has each other's Babes. backs. And it's literally that. And I think, um, you know, teams that We do... talked about it with the Palace girls. It's exactly... It, Such honestly, good culture. you just need that kind of good energy, that good culture, whether you're on the pitch, whether you're starting and whether you're not. And I feel like, you know, going into a big tournament like this, you really, really extra need that that bit of support. And if that's not there and there's things going on behind the scenes or no one likes each other and no one's talking to each other... You're not going to bring results. You're not. They don't have the easiest group either. Like, mm. you know, Italy are not going to be an easy team to play. Um, the game has grown hugely there. They've got some really good um, players in that squad. I know Belgium lost 3-0 to England, but I think they will have learned a lot from that. Um, they had a decent first half. And and Iceland are, are sitting top of their World Cup qualifying group. Um, you know, they've, they've beaten Czech Republic twice, who the Netherlands drew with twice. So... You know, there's quality in in the three teams in their group, and as you say, that little bit of pressure, you know, how players are feeling mentally during the tournament, they're not coming up against uh, pushovers. Yeah, amen. Uh, Northern Ireland, we got to touch on Northern Ireland. They're not a contender for for the for the trophy. So, you, ne- you, so never, know. you um, never know. But that is their first ever major tournament. They released their squad this week. A really cool announcement video. Really enjoyed it. Some cool graphics. A very inspirational voiceover. It like, kind of made me ready to like fight. I was really kind of it was, psyched um, up. It was your one from Derry Girls, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know which one, but I knew I it was one the of mom. them. Is it the mum? I, I thought so. I thought so. I knew it was her. Um, but it was wicked. Um, and then I watched the longest Zoom press conference of all time. Um Serena Bigman's press conferences probably last like 20 minutes max. And Kenny Shills went on for like an hour. Um, and they just wouldn't stop asking him questions. It was wild. You need to be careful what you say about him because he doesn't appreciate comments from the media. We're too far Negative gone there. We're the too media. far gone. Um, but, you know, they're obviously very excited to be taking part in this. And I feel like... I think he seems quite conscious of them not getting too kind of caught up in the sort of like happy to be here um, mentality, which I think is easy when you are kind of being lauded and celebrated for making the tournament, like making up the numbers. Um, And he spoke about being quite worried about his team making mistakes and putting pressure on themselves about those mistakes and kind of it escalating into, you know, collapsing in games and getting too emotional. Like he didn't say that yesterday, no, but he didn't say that. He didn't what, say that yesterday. But he, he's obviously said that in the past. Um and they had a fairly tough uh, defeat to Belgium. Their goalkeeper got sent off, which obviously isn't ideal. Um and they've got some experience in that squad, but I think, you know, it is going to be really there's even though they've got Rachel Furness and Simone Miguel and they just haven't got a whole lot of attacking talent in there. And I think obviously there's a lot of pressure on, on Rachel Furness to sort of carry that team. Um, but hopefully they can finish the tournament with some points on the board. I think it would be really disappointing if they finish with 
you know, losing all all three of their group games, but hopefully they'll they'll have something to show for the next couple of weeks um, and be able to, you know, build from there as well. I think it's a really exciting time for the team and for women's football in that country and the fact that they got the full-time camp as well and the lead-up to this, that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, and there's a lot of spirit in that squad and that does take you a long way in tournaments. You look at how Scotland did in their first World Cup. They put in some absolutely stellar performances. Just missed out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I know you don't want to get carried away about the whole, you know, first time in a tournament thing, but actually sometimes that carries you. It gives you a real... There's a real, there'll be a real togetherness in that squad and, and like Kenny said, they'll want to protect each other from kind of the outside pressures and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I think that spirit could take them a long way. I think also they've got the underdog advantage yeah. because no one is expecting anything from them. And I think those are sometimes the, the, the teams that sort of, you know, create the most amount of upset because there's nothing to stop them just from parking the bus for all of their games and creating real issues for clubs, who, for teams who thought that they were going to get points off them. So I wouldn't be surprised actually if, if Northern Ireland cause a few upsets. Yeah, and I think I mean, Shields made the point yesterday about really reflecting on on how far they've come. And he was saying, you know, when, when him and his team came in, they were getting absolutely smashed by some of the teams they're now beating or drawing with. And that growth has been fantastic to see and, and has happened in fairly short space of time. So it feels like it's sort of, you know, the only way is up, even if this tournament is not their tournament, there is so much more exciting uh, things to come. And I hope their their support turn out in numbers as well. Um, we've been chatting a fairly long time, so let's quickly fly through our tournament predictions. Um, Rachel, I'm going to come to you first. I want your winner... You're sort of dark horse because I think me and you are picking the same team, so it's kind of a half a half. Um, and player of the tournament. Ooh, I read that last one as top goal scorer, so I need to very quickly recap. It, it can, it can be if you, you know, if you want to caveat and say, well, they're going to be my player of the tournament because they're going to be the top goal scorer. It's up to you, really. I'm going to say Sweden to win it. Okay. I'm going to say Norway is a dark horse, and player of the tournament. I've written down Beth Mead because I thought it was going to be top goal scorer, but I do think Lauren Hemp might have a stellar tournament. Wow. I mean, I'm disappointed at that that prediction about the winner. That's yeah, a, me too. But I'm not, not going to dwell on it. Do you know what I'd be happy to be wrong about? That one. That one. Yeah. I, I'd rather be yeah, wrong obviously. about that than saying, putting all my flags and poles in England and then England not winning. So I'm cool with it. Well, I'm going to go big and bold because uh, England are taking it home this yeah. year. Absolutely. Yeah, go on, put those English flags and that big old English yeah. sand, that big old English trophy. I was going to say Brighton Beach, but that's a pebble pebble <laughs> beach. There's not any sand there. <laughs> you literally can't stick poles in it. No. Um, She's tried. My... <laughs> Don't even go there. Oh, God. Oh, where we go with that one? Here we go. Anyway, sorry. Uh, my on. dark horse is obviously Northern Ireland because no one is expecting that. <laughs> no, that no is a, that's a proper dark horse. That. Yeah. That's a small in the distance dark that's, horse. Yeah. yeah, in the shadows. That. In the shadows. Uh, player of the tournament, I think Chloe Kelly's going to come through and deliver some goods. Um, she's already proven herself and she's come back and she'll want to prove herself even more. And I think she could be a little star playmaker. Love that. Yeah. Mine's going to be kind of a little amalgamation of the two of you, actually. I'm going to go England for the win. Come, Come on. on. Come on. Yeah. I can't not. What shirt are you um, wearing, Flo? Vive oh. la France. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's awkward. a great shirt. Come on. I want to like, you know. If I did that, I'd never wear anything in my wardrobe because most of it is not England or the team that I actually support. Um, Dark horse, I'm going to go Norway. And yeah, they're not really a dark horse, but I think they're one, not the people aren't really sort of 
put in the top contenders. I feel like it's sort of a two-tiered situation at the moment. Um, player of the tournament, I'm going to go with Lauren Hemp because obviously in England, we've been talking about her and bigging her up for, for so long now, basically from the start of the season. But I think internationally, she's not got that same reputation yet. And I feel like she is going to finish this tournament as one of the best players in the world, as one of the most talked about players in the world. And City are going to be pretty grateful that they got her signed to that new contract. So it's going to be the Lauren Hemp show, baby. What I'm going to say is I think this is England's, their best chance to win a Euros. I think this team is the, the, their best chance. But <laughs> <laughs> let me finish my point. But it's going to be the hardest Euros to win for any team. Oh, That's nice. where I think it is. So Mystical. I think the most chance, but the hardest Euros to win because literally four or five, six teams could win it. Chloe, is it coming home? Yeah, I don't. There's no qualms about yeah, that. Like, what? what do you want? Like, this, it, it's, it's an, an obvious open question. Book. I don't. I don't understand why we're still talking. We're discussing this thing. Rachel, is it coming home? It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming. You lost my question. Is it coming home? I'm singing the bloody song. Okay, I'm just saying it's coming home. I, I just sang it, say it multiple times. Say it. She's whispering. Say it in her mind. You've already asked me. Who I think just say win. it's coming just, home. What? You, we're not going to stop recording until just I say it. <laughs> Why are you bullying? We'll be here all night. Oh, it's coming night. home. Yeah, yeah. Come, on. come on. Come on. Get in. Um, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. Join us next week for a preview of England's opening game against Austria. Remember, we'll be here three times a week throughout the tournament. So make sure you're subscribed to Football Ramble Presents so you don't miss an episode. We'll also be dropping in on the Football Ramble feed with every post-England show. So if you're all about the Lionesses, you'll be able to find us there too. In the meantime, if you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. See you next week. God, that was a lot Jesus from you. Christ, yeah. Oh, can you keep this up for the whole three weeks? Because that was intense. Someone's missed us. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 